filibuster is supported through patreon by listeners like you check us out at patreon.com slash filibuster we also get support from the ehrlich law office discrimination wage and litigation solutions for the district of columbia and northern virginia they handle workplace discrimination non-competition and non-solicitation litigation civil rights and a whole lot more for a free consultation go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster Guys, I, I I turned 36 this month, um, and yeah, uh, I have to face the fact that it's it's time to start preparing my grave for my inevitable death. Um, which I assume I, I assume that the Reaper is in my neighborhood and is just in concentric circles, working closer and closer until one day the knock at the door will come, um, and that'll be it. Uh, so, so my question: yeah. Are you going to pre-populate your tombstone? Uh, I have a lot of ideas uh, to the extent that I might need to extend my life a little longer to make sure I, I get everything on there that I want to get on there because it's a lot. It's a lot of information I want to convey to the people um, who come by and see my tombstone, which I assume will be a lot of people. Um, Are you going to buy a brick in the sidewalk uh, on Buzzard Point to to act as your kind of interim tombstone? No, no. I mean, how, how am I going to have the money for this... Uh, gaudy and uh, preposterous tombstone if i'm also throwing money around on bricks um it, you it's going to take all of your money pretty much i need to put everything into this this basket my all my eggs are in the tombstone basket um which is not a phrase i thought i was going to say before we started the show but here we are you know <laughs> if you're focused on a legacy i i i guess there are there are probably worse ways you could pursue a legacy. I can't think of any off the top of my head, but I'm sure they exist. Look, I, I feel like uh, we still talk about uh, various uh, pharaohs and, and people like that. And all they did was spend all of their time on the, their uh, burial mounds and, and pyramids and tombstones. So I figured this is the, this is the only way to really uh, keep my memory alive longer than most people uh, is to just go all in on being remembered and not actually achieving anything did you also ruin uh, rule an ancient city-state well no but i mean you know that that just means the odds are longer for me and i need to really uh you know overachieve in the uh post uh, the posthumous notoriety uh thing which mostly will come through the tombstone so best case scenario some assuming society still exists at, at this point a 23rd 25th century archaeologist sociologist uh anthropologist uh comes along and, and finds your tombstone and what 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 do you want do you want that that sociologist that that anthropologist to think that you were incredibly special in, in this day and time or that you were indicative of society and they can draw no. some very bad and wrong conclusions that are hilarious to us but uh, don't necessarily well, well inform the first of future all, society. They won't be hilarious to us because we'll all be dead. Um, but uh, uh, excuse you, I am planning to live to my 500th birthday. Ben Bromley, I mean, head in a jar, much. right next to Richard Nixon. Um, no, I, I will I, kill Nixon. I will. My head in the jar will fight Nixon's head in a jar and win. You're a all head right. in a jar. You don't have locomotion. They, well, they you don't know that. Yeah, you, you got to put some effort in. 
Um, <laughs> but no, I, I wish Ben uh, the best in his quest to be a head in a jar. Um, personally, I want I want the anthropologist to to think of me as an exemplary uh, individual and not as one of many. Uh, so I, I do not want to be seen as a representative of of past modes of uh, of everything. Uh, I want to be seen as a, a singular example uh, that has not been repeated. Um, also, I would like uh, significant discussion about it. No, nonetheless, even though I don't represent anyone but me, I would like it to be talked about quite a bit. I can't think of a better way to get into the podcast. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I am Adam Taylor, much more representative of my time. They are Ben Bromley and Jason Anderson, two of a kind, uh, completely unique in the universe. We're all from blackandredunited.com where we write about DC United and other things soccer in the DMV. Tonight we are talking about DC United and their one nothing loss in the Midwest to Sporting Kansas City. Uh, Actually, we are. We're going to spend basically the first segment on it. And then in the second segment, we are going to get to your questions, dear listeners. Uh, We're going to open up our Twitter box. We have quite a few questions. We threw it open earlier before we we started recording. We've got some good questions, some less good questions, some fun questions, some less fun questions. It has been uh, that kind of season so far for DC United. Before we get into anything, though, Ben, what are you drinking? I am drinking a variant on a Moscow Mule. It's uh, vodka, lemonade, and ginger ale. So it's a less intense Moscow Mule based on what I had here at home. Okay. Are you happy with that decision? Um, yeah, mostly. Not so much so that you would want to be known in future societies for that drink. No, if I have to be known in future societies for a drink, I want it to be something like disgusting and but bourbon based. Like bourbon mixed with purple drink or something? No, no, not that bad. Something like something more uh more abhorrent, but yeah. I I can't describe it. Well- more abhorrent, but but not as bad as what Adam said. I, yeah, just he's, like he's trying to thread a very yes, exactly small yeah. needle here, possibly <laughs> one that doesn't exist. Right, but I respect it. Jason, yeah. what are you drinking? Uh, in an effort to uh, speed up my inevitable demise, uh, <laughs> I, I am drinking a, a drink that uh, over the weekend I had this idea to to get this drink, um, but I couldn't get all the ingredients together at the time because it was very late, um, but I've had more time, so I've gone back to a college drink um, that is not good for you, uh, but it does it does get you to a fun place. Uh, Are any of these drinks good for us? Uh, it depends on how you look at it. If, if they make you uh, enjoy your life a little more, then maybe that's the stress relief benefit might be worth the alcohol intake. This at drink, the time I had red wine, that was good, that was good for me, probably. Uh, this drink uh, is, has too many things in it that are not good for you. Uh, I am drinking uh, Mountain Dew Code Red with vodka. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, Jason. So I've got Red 40 uh, circulating through my veins. I've got caffeine. Um, it's or it's very much a possibly imagine. get back to college and uh, get up to no good drink. J- Jason, have you been teleported back to like 2004? 
no, but I, I the my memory of drinking this particular drink in college in 2004 uh, was pretty pretty amusing, and I thought as a one time uh, a one time uh, trip off the beaten path, it might be fun, and it is. <laughs> um, I mean, maybe DC United is playing like it's 2004. Not really. If no, only they aren't. <laughs> if only they were. <laughs> Uh, I, I'm drinking also something with the word red in it, um, okay. but much less bad for me, I think, than code red in vodka is for literally anyone. Uh, I, I'm drinking drive through dry hopped red no. ale. Okay, I was going to say, like, I'm not going to approve anything that starts with drive through. It's <laughs> The name of the beer is drive through red. Um, it is from a, a small... Uh, artisanal grocery store that just opened in my neighborhood uh called trader joe's i don't know if anyone has heard of it uh it's a very nice grocery store they have lots of frozen foods that are pretty tasty a lot of organic stuff as well if you're into that um they just opened in my neighborhood no we're not (laughs) i'm obviously poking fun i'm part of the trader joe's backlash I, i like i shopped at trader joe's all throughout grad school but i don't think trader joe's is that great like if you actually want to cook you can't their, Trader their Joe's produce, is not that great. Their produce selection Sucks. is not not very big. Is bad. But the stuff that's there is good and cheap compared to the uh, other grocery stores in my neighborhood. And I'll give so, you cheap. I will not give you good. I, and I will further up you overpackaged. Much of it is overpackaged. That's correct. Uh, but it, it, I was happy with what I got there. Uh, this weekend and then i went to another grocery store in the neighborhood to finish my shopping which is the real downside of trader joe's is it's not a place you can go and just get one thing uh trader joe if you are listening and i assume you are one human being and not a corporate board uh please contact me uh to pay us a sponsorship and i will on on these uh, airwaves argue with ben and adam until they give in uh about the goodness of your store but only once your money clears uh, until then you know whatever um, so Trader Joe's has kind of an Audi Puma relationship with Aldi. They're both yes. German chains founded by brothers. Um, we shop at Aldi. I think it's better than Trader. Where is this going? But it's not I, great. I don't know. I'll, I have not had is good Aldi experiences with Aldi. Well? This is Filibuster, the grocery store United podcast. If Aldi pays one of you to argue with me uh, in the back pocket of trader joe's that that might be fun but also more importantly it will be uh enriching for us financially we can talk about the midwestern connection that kroger has and on that note let's go to the midwest and talk about soccer <laughs> the two worst defenses in mls 2018 met in kansas city this weekend and of course the result was a one nothing game where the only tally came via own goal i don't care what the box score says Felipe Gutierrez did not score that goal. His, it was not a shot. It was a pass across the mouth of goal that got deflected in. It's not a shot. It's not a goal for him. It's an own goal for Frederick Briant. Um, and and that goal actually kind of was the story of Kansas City's attack. Anytime they had a chance to put a sustained attack on, they targeted Frederick Briant and Nick DeLeon. And even though the goal itself resulted from a turnover in that area of the field and not a sustained attack by sporting Kansas city. Jason, it was obvious from the outset that that's where they were trying to poke. 
Yeah, uh, they made a an interesting. It was an interesting lineup uh, to see uh, coming back from the Spirit game to see that they had Johnny Russell moved over from the left. He was playing on the right for I think this was his first start on the right side, um, and they brought in Daniel Shallowy to play the left wing, and he hasn't. In my the times I've seen him, I haven't been that impressed. This was much better from him than in the past. Um, so that certainly was a factor. Is they had a very hungry, very engaged um, Shalloway uh, facing up with anyone that he could get faced up with uh, as often as possible. Um, it also was a factor of the fact that Felipe Gutierrez plays that left of center midfield role. Um, Jimmy Madronda played left back, so he was constantly coming forward because he's not really a left back. Um, and so all of that added up to a very heavily left-sided Kansas City attack, which meant DeLeon and Briant were really put to the test. And um, it did not it did not go well. Uh, they were, especially in the early going when the goal came, um, those two did not seem ready to go. Um, they didn't seem to expect what was coming, um, which is, you know, against Kansas City, you always have to expect them to be full throttle from the opening whistle, um, almost to a fault. Uh, and it just seemed like, uh, you know, those are guys that have been in the league that, um, that have seen this team play multiple times. They don't really have an excuse to be caught off guard by an aggressive Kansas city. So, um, it's a pretty frustrating thing. Um, you have to give Peter Vermes credit because he got, uh, he made this thing pay off, uh, which is, you know, I don't enjoy saying it, but that's the, the fact of life is that he, uh, forced, you know, a lot of the play down that side. I think Nick DeLeon ended up leading DC in clearances, which is not normal for a fullback. Um, by comparison, Joseph Mora had one, whereas DeLeon had nine. Um, that's just uh, all around uh, pretty frustrating because I think outside of that opening period, as much as Kansas City had a bunch of shots, this was one of those classic Kansas City games where they take 20 shots, but like 12 of them aren't good shots. Um, and so right. they also did let DC United off the hook, uh, with a couple of shots sure. that should have been on goal that, that weren't, they weren't under yeah. pressure. They were in good positions and they couldn't finish. Sure. And, and, you know, there's certainly no question that Kansas city deserved to win the game. Um, but I do think there is an element of frustration in that DC might've been able to get away with this one if they had been just ready from the start or, or I shouldn't say they like every single player was not ready from the start but if every single player were ready from the start um and that just didn't happen and it's uh it's an it's a problem we haven't had to talk about too much this year but it's a problem that has come up in the past um and i you know at a certain point you have to wonder if something's being lost in translation in the locker room because if you watch the post game show ben olsen was almost pulling his hair out over the fact that not everyone was ready to go in his words um, so I wonder he, if he if he said we were going if he told the guys that the sporting Kansas sporting Casey was going to come out hot and the opening minutes were going to be about absorbing that pressure and trying to turn it around. And some of the guys heard it as we're going to be on the back foot and just accept that. I I think you're right. If, Something might be lost in the translation. I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm trying, I'm grasping for an explanation. Even, even if that's what the players heard, it doesn't explain the just being unprepared to actually stop players from attacking. Um, and that's what really bothered me. It's not, um, you know, being told you're going to be on the back foot early is one thing. Being unprepared to actually do anything uh, while defending deep is another. And they were unprepared to do that defending. Um 
it's actually kind of galling. I have um, whoscored.com open just to have some some stats on hand. And they have Nick DeLeon rated as the second best player for DC United in this game behind David Osted, which is kind of maddening. Um, their player ratings have been generally useless for a long time. And this is a glaring example of that. Um, but it just, it's a, it's very frustrating that um, coming off of five games that haven't gone all that well against Kansas City, against a team that has shown a vulnerability, DC didn't really do anything to exploit that. Um, they weren't really able to play through the press. They weren't really able to break it very often. Um, it took them 55 minutes before there was a stretch where they started to close the gap and make the game a little more even, but they never got control of it. Um, even the late move to go to a three, three, four and throw the kitchen sink at, um, Kansas city. That didn't really make anything happen. Um, that was was actually the next thing I wanted to, to talk about. There, there was a whole lot of not good enough from DC United in this game. Um, whether it was chasing for long spells, like it was the second half mm-hmm. uh, against Columbus last week, um, a lot of possession that from Kansas City that wasn't necessarily super intentful and and pushing into the final third, but forcing United to defend in the middle third and defend against four rays into the attacking third, and then just recycling it and and forcing United to chase. And then, like you said, at the end, even with a, a very aggressive formation shift from Ben Olsen, um, not a lot of pressure put on the Spork goal at the end of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's, 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 it was a lot of not well, good enough. Right. And, and you know, the it, it's a little frustrating to me that the subs came as late as they did. Um DC didn't go to their bench until the 76th minute in a game that it clearly wasn't happening um, as it, as it was, uh, as the team on the field was comprised. Um, I will say that Olsen did, there was no conservatism in the subs he made. He threw his three most attacking players into the game. Um, but ultimately I think it kind of speaks to the last two games, this, this game and against um, Columbus, it speaks to an inability to make the other team get away from what they're good at. Uh, Columbus showed what they're good at against DC United, especially after halftime. Um, Kansas City showed what they were good at against DC, and DC could never force Kansas City to play more of what DC United wanted. There was no attempt to, or not no attempt, there was no ability to dictate the terms to Kansas City. Um, and that's, you know, two games in a row where it's happened. Um, which is, if anything, uh, a bit of a regression because against Orlando, DC dictated the terms for for a while until the red card, and then they sort of lost themselves in the game and um, had problems that way. Um, against Houston, I think both teams kind of want to play the same, so there wasn't really necessarily the dictate the terms issue. But um, these last two games, granted against better teams, um, they still were unable to force their opponent into anything really particularly uncomfortable. Um, it would have been pretty glaring if if United had come out and gotten a 0-0. I, I think that would have been one of those like, well, um, Kansas City didn't actually create that much. So it's not fair, but it's not that unfair. But for a 1-1 would have felt more unfair than a 0-0 because I don't think DC did enough to get themselves on the scoreboard in this game at any point. Um, and that's pretty frustrating. Um, especially when you also throw in that 
they were unable to find Emil Assad for almost the entire game. Uh, and he's been the best player on the team. So wouldn't you want to give him the ball? Uh, the answer was apparently like, well, you know, maybe, maybe not. Yeah, the Sporks did what they wanted to and took away what DC United wanted to do. And that was pretty much the game, even though they didn't score a goal themselves. They required an own goal, a very early own goal. So they didn't have to score anything right. themselves. Well, you, you put you put players in bad positions. You know, you make people defend facing their own goal. This kind of thing happens, um, even though the ball hit Briant in the foot or in the heel, I should say. Yeah, um, it's Felipe Gutierrez is crossing from a dangerous position with runners coming in. Um, it's a situation that you're lucky to get out of. You know, if that ball hits Briant in the front of the foot and DC gets out of it, they're very lucky. So um, it's not, I don't consider the own goal to be uh, bad luck at all. It's just, it's what happened. Uh, The goal could have come some other way and that would have been what happened as well. Right. Uh, I I would say it was bad luck, but not undeserved. Sporting Kansas City made their own luck on that. Um, But that's really a, a... Kind of a non-material disagreement. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's see. One of the things that stood out to me in this one was the the different ways we saw the team's counter. On the one hand, you had Sporting Kansas City. When they got the ball into space, they ran, they passed it, and they found someone on the weak side at the last second to to set up a shot, whether that was crossing at the 18 or cutting it back from the end line. When DC United got the ball on the counter, they were slower to get forward. When they did get forward, the, the one time they found Yamil Assad, he had uh, Paul Ariola at the back post, but it was his one time getting the ball, and it was relatively late in the first half, I think. He got the ball in the attacking third, took his man one-on-one, and, and put on a decent shot, forced a corner, uh, forced a save out of Tim Melia, um, and not a bad save at that. But again, just forced a corner as opposed to finding the open man right. and, and potentially getting a, a, a better look at goal. But Assad didn't get enough of the ball. Goal scorers and good attackers, when they get the ball in that situation and they haven't gotten it in a while, they're going to want to do something with it. And he decided to do it himself and go it alone. Uh, I'm not sure how much of that is a lack of confidence in his teammates at this point, though I, I would be willing to entertain that notion right now. Well, I don't even think it's lack of, I mean, it's obviously lack of confidence in his teammates, but I also think it is a deeper problem that we've talked about previously, but the central midfield is still less than the sum of its parts. There's still some sort of thing happening between the uh, Chris Durkin line and the uh, the Ulysses Segura, uh, Ian Harks line, where they're not figuring it out together. They're not able to uh, make a coherent uh, central midfield partnership that links up the defense uh, to the attack. And so they're not able to make good things happen. They're not able to unlock uh, the attacking midfielders. They're not able to unlock the wingers. They're not able to make uh, Darren Maddox be anything less than anonymous these past couple of games. So there's something happening in that uh, further back area of central midfield that just isn't working no matter what uh, what combination Ben Olsen throws on the field. Ben, I understand you have a, a broader thought on that. I do, but I think Jason wants to say something first and then I'll get back to my broader thought. On Ben's point, um, 
I think there was an attempt to shake that up by switching the triangle and playing with Durkin alone uh, and then playing Acosta and Segura ahead of him, which is not what I expected uh, against Kansas City. I thought um, with their, they play that same way. They play with a, a, an anchor man behind two more. Um, and I thought it was a big risk um, to go that route. And it, But it, the reason it didn't work is not what I, th- what I was worried about was that Espinosa and Gutierrez would overwhelm Dirk and he would just be left with too much to do um, because there would only be, it would be, you know, a lot of times two on one. Um, what really went wrong though, is that United's two uh, were totally unable to do anything to slow Elie Sanchez down. Uh, he ended up with 107, I think it was 107 touches. Um, he had the most key passes of anyone in the game. He, his passing accuracy was over 90%. Like he controlled this game from start to finish despite having um, Acosta and Segura in areas of the field where they should have been able to um, com- compress his space and make his life more difficult. Um, and United was just unable to successfully do that. I, I guess that's what the idea behind the switch was, was to take the risk on Durkin and try and shut down Sanchez uh, in the exchange. But if you don't get uh, the thing that you wanted out of the exchange, then it, it didn't really pan out. And it didn't even come close to panning out, quite frankly, because. Uh, you know, Sanchez, I almost voted Sanchez as player of the week uh, for um, the North American soccer reporters uh, poll because he was that good. Um, granted, this is a week where he's not going to get anywhere near the front because of the um, Zlatan goals and the uh, Don Baggi getting a hat trick and all that stuff. But um, Sanchez had a great game and DC did nothing to make that, you know, difficult. They didn't make it hard on him at all. And um, if you're going to switch that midfield triangle, the guy at the base of an opposing midfield triangle needs to have a very difficult game in front of him. And instead it was pretty easy. So as Adam uh, foreshadowed, my, my theory is, and Jason will probably correct the details of this, but DC United's best play over the past seven, eight years to me has been when they played two defensive midfielders or or at least two defensive-minded midfielders. We're thinking uh, Davey Arnault and Perry Kitchen. I'm thinking Mar- uh, uh, Marcelo Saragossa and, and uh, uh, Perry Kitchen. Uh, even when um, Jared Jeffrey and Rob Vincent played together, that's two more defensive-minded midfielders. So, And they haven't been able to do that so far this season because of absences and injuries and so forth. But... Uh, when everyone is available, I'd like to see two of the three of Chris Durkin and uh, Russell Knauss especially and Junior Moreno start because there's something not clicking with... I mean, I think Ulysses Segura is a good player, but I think there's something about this team and this uh, and this makeup that he's not clicking with that unit to play uh, the best version of DC United soccer with this team. So I would like to see Ben Olsen try uh, either uh, some combination of uh, Moreno, Knaus, and Durkin uh, underneath the attacking midfield of uh, Assad, Ariola, and Acosta and, and see how that goes. I, I think I would actually prefer Durkin and another and Knaus uh, given my druthers because they're both better passers than I think Moreno has shown so far. But I think... The four one four one hasn't proven itself out with this combination of players, even though on paper it seems like it could have. 
it, it has been a long time since um I mean you have to go back way back way way before um Ben Olson was a coach um you'd have to go back past Tom the Tom Sone era was mostly with um two holding midfielders in a in a 3-5-2 um you know the, the the days where a team could play one underneath um you really have to play 4-3-3 like Kansas City does for it to pan out um and you have you need really 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 good players that's a extraordinarily difficult job um i do think there's something to the idea of a Canals and Durkin pairing because you know we've seen that Durkin's got that long range passing that frankly none of the other um defensive midfielders or number 8s really have no one else has that 60 yard pass um that there was actually you know Durkin had one or two of those in the game that almost panned out it just was a little bit uh a little bit off um that that pass i think can open things up quite a bit for united um and if you pair him with uh Canals i think the the issues in the defense become less because there's just less for them to do because all of a sudden you've made it harder to break through to get to the defense um i, I was thinking about the idea of Durkin with another defensive midfielder over the weekend. And it's not the worst thing in the world because right now the other options haven't really worked. Um, Segura has his moments that are good, but then, you know, then he gets into the final third and everything falls apart. Adam summed it up very well with, with two tweets uh, with gifts. Um, And, you know, maybe the, maybe the moment in the game that frustrated me the most was Segura breaking in you know he intercepted a pass he broke through uh, a hole in Kansas City's midfield and found himself lining up Ike Opara one-on-one Opara wasn't ready um he wasn't set to defend he was backpedaling he was a panic quite frankly and Segura got one touch too close to Opara and then tried he tried to make a move once he was too close um he did a little he rolled the sole of his foot over the ball um but as soon as his foot was back on the ground he was already being tackled by Ike Opara. It was already over. Um, and it was just, he, he had this moment of hesitation and then took another touch. Like, well, what if I take another touch? Will that help straighten things out? And then all of a sudden he's within arm's reach and it's like, well, no, you wasted your window to get past the guy. Um, which is just an, it's an ongoing thing with Segura when he's gotten into attacking positions. Um, he does very well to get into those positions, but the moment of truth goes poorly. Um, so, you know, there's a compelling argument that, you know, he's made some mistakes defensively as well. Um, Ian Harks has had some decent moments, but also hasn't displaced Segura. So there is right. an argument between, you know, those two where neither one of them has been very convincing so far this season. Um, and maybe it is time when Canals comes back to think of Canals and Dirk, in which hopefully, you know, I have my, it, it doesn't seem like Canals is going to be ready to start uh, against Columbus on the 14th, but maybe that second game in April, we might be able to see him and Durkin from the start or him and whoever from the start, because the main thing I think is Russell Canals needs to be in the lineup. Um, this oh, team yes. is, is dying yeah. for him to return. Um, I think it was Phil Quinn over the weekend who, who counted it out and figured out that DC United has three games over the next 41 days. Yeah, it's it's not a lot of soccer in a lot of time. Yeah, so there's lots of time on the training. There's lots of time for people to to get well. Um, Junior Moreno could be coming back before, you know, the third game we talk about after today. Um, Russell Canales might be back. Hell, Taylor Kemp might be back. Who the hell knows? Mm. Um, 
there there's a lot of opportunity for people to get better i i'm gonna put a little twist on what ben's saying because i think the best united's played uh and and the closest we've seen to what ben olsen probably wants to play if he has everything he wants is the what the the fabled nearly mythical end to the the 2016 season where dc united was very direct and winning games and shootouts and uh was was crazy fun to watch and that was a the 4-1 4-1 uh that this team is trying and so far not really succeeding at well, I, well, I i blame them in the in the off season for that then because if they wanted no, that's to play fine. that way let me, let me finish my thought though and and it's it's that I think you're right that there's not enough steel in that central midfield, but I don't necessarily want that steel lined up in uh, a four two three one. I I want that steel in the number eight spot. And Segura has some of it, but he he loses his mind. He he you know kind of faints once he enters the the final third. Russell Knaus I think could be good in that number eight. He's played that number eight spot. I don't mind uh, having a great tackler. Uh, a little further up the field, knowing that Durkin is back and and hopefully developing the positional sense at least to um, intercept some passes and and be available as an outlet so that he can hit that big switch. Uh, a four one four one with Kanaus and Durkin supporting Lucho Acosta, I think is uh, is something I would like to see at this point. I I, I think I, I've talked myself into it. Sure. And that midfield could could do it. My my problem with the four one four one is that in twenty sixteen it required elite level Patrick Mullins. And when they went into this off season, they signed someone in Darren Maddox who was maybe ten percent better than Patrick Mullins. And they didn't there's no guarantee that either of them could actually perform to that level because they only signed someone who was 10% better. They needed to sign somebody who was significantly better than Patrick Mullins to try and make that happen again, and they just didn't do it. And so regardless of how your midfield is doing, if you don't have a striker who is uh, hot most of the time, that that doesn't work. And you're and it, absolutely and- right. You know, it, it also comes back to, um, you know, the idea that United wants to play straightforward rather than have a hold-up presence. I think that's the re- the main reason Maddox has been playing is that um, Olsen wants this team to break through and break at speed over and over again. Um, but I do think that a hold-up presence uh, might allow them to play that extra defensive midfielder because then you're getting... Mullins holding the ball up for the three attacking midfielders coming from underneath. That might be more appealing to those three players than everyone just chasing in behind over and over again. Um, And once you, you know, once you make it easier on those three attacking players, then you can start to say like, well, the defense has really been rough so far. So maybe we can reinforce uh, that end of things at the expense of the attack because the attack is in a better place because we've given them a system that maybe helps them uh, thrive a little more. Um, but I will say that I don't necessarily worry too much about whether it's uh, one deep or two deep, um, but the roles are what interests me. If if um, Knaus is 
on number eight, but his primary job is still screening the back four, winning the ball and connecting. And Durkin is more of a deep lying playmaker than um, if it's if it's four one four one, and that's the distribution of roles. That's fine to me. Um, yeah, but that's the main thing is getting getting that balance of roles mm-hmm. uh, for those two is more interesting to me than whether it's two uh, it's four two three one or four one four one. But you know, it all comes to you know when Russell Canals comes back who does Olsen see as his ideal partner? Because we don't actually right. have any idea what that is. It, I mean, granted, it might just be, well, we think Segura is the best number eight and Canals is the best number six, and that's that. Uh, but I think at this point, we should really be looking for the combination uh, and who is the best player to play alongside Canals, not who is the best player, period. Because clearly, yes. the groups of, the, the players that have gotten their time, it hasn't really panned out. Um, and the one noteworthy i mean taylor kemp uh has been injured as well but i think he would be in a pretty stiff competition with joseph mora for that spot um whereas canals when he comes back it's going to be like are you fit to play 60 minutes well then we're starting you um and we'll see if you can get any more than that but we got to get you into games um and finding the best partner for him is i think the main thing is is whoever whoever plays best alongside him in whatever role that is that's the way to go because it's kind of, you know, it's kind of a surprise that it turned out this way, but he's turned out to be the most important piece that came in during that last summer transfer window. Uh, before we, we sign off on, on this segment, I do want to say, give Ben credit for those of you keeping score at home. Ben is the one that made it an official conversation about DC United in 2018 by mentioning the failure of the front office to land a, a, a more uh, prominent or better striker in in this offseason and uh bobby wood joel campbell watch 2018 has has officially begun here in the nation's capital anything else you guys want to hit on before we uh take a quick break and open up the twitter box i think they should try and sign cristiano ronaldo i I vote for for leo messi (laughs) at this point on this team in this league in this year i i think i'm with jason and with that Break, very important breaking news, Adam doesn't want DC United to sign Leo Messi. <laughs> <laughs> and, and with that uh, perpetual argument out of the way, I think that's the first time we've we've waded into the Ronaldo versus Messi debate on this show. It only took five and a half years. Um, and on that note, we are going to call it a segment. Stick around. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are, are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages or or do something else oh, nefarious... Oh, you are. I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they, they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. 
I'll fight my way through this. All right. Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster. DC United finds themselves without a, an opponent this weekend. Their regularly scheduled trip to Toronto has been moved to June to allow Toronto to have an unfettered week between their their two legs in the CONCACAF Champions League. Uh, are we in the semifinals now? Yep. I think. Yeah, the semifinal, they're playing Club America, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Uh, really big, important game for the Reds and DC United did them a solid. Screw whether them. That, whether that was well-advised or ill-advised, uh, I think is open to debate. F that shit. I like how you and said it, one of them. Well, there were two curse words there. I'm trying to... I'm trying to keep our our non-explicit tag very slightly. PG-13, not R. Yes. You're aiming for a very medium level of language. I'm, e- I'm aiming for the medium place. Uh, the medium place. Um, watch the good place. We'll buzz market that. Uh, it is so forking good. It is. Hey, really us money. The good place. NBC. Kristen Bell. Uh, pay us money. Yeah, if, if that's what it takes. Um, I know it's not entirely her show, but uh, if she wants to, if she wants to sponsor us, and we're just supposed to say good things about her, then that's fine too. I Ted Danson to also pay Ted us Danson. money. Yes, Ted Danson can pay us money. Uh, yeah. Anyway, DC United doesn't have an opponent this week, so for the second segment, we are opening up the Twitter box to answer. Pew, pew, pew. I don't. Why pew pew pew? For the Twitter box? Adam's phone time, Twitter box roundup time. That's not a thing. It is now? No, I don't believe it is. Yeah. Anyway, uh, like I it said, DC United has I've no game. We're opening the Twitter box. First question. We're going to just kind of run up the list. There, there are quite a few questions. You guys came through for us this week uh, for a relatively late uh solicitation first question comes from mur at more dcu on twitter uh demands that we give the people a starting 11 with Assad at striker and no nick de leon um i don't know that Assad at striker is the right thing but i'm also not sure that darren maddox or patrick mullins is the right thing so let's go with it we'll, we'll go with the stipulation i mean um First question, if we're doing this, Assad at striker, is he alone or is there another striker with him? Uh, I mean, I don't think he's a forward, so it's already going to be weird. Yes, Um, it is. We're just going to run with that, though. That's the stipulation. Well, I I guess the most straightforward thing is to just drop Darren Maddox, move Assad into the position that I'm going to again note uh, is not for him. Um, bring Zoltan Stieber in on the left. Uh, and then um, I think the other part of this is um, dropping Nick DeLeon. So then it would be O'Neill Fisher at right back. Um, I mean, that's it's pretty much as straightforward as it gets. Um, if you want to get really weird, um, I guess you could go to a back three and play Assad with Maddox as a 
a forward pairing, and then you have Ariola and Mora as wingbacks, and I guess Kofi Opare comes in as a the third center nah, back. Nah, or, you don't even have to do that. You could just uh, do a four two two. Four two two? No, you would never do that because you would be leaving players off. You do a four four two, and just play a, a central midfield of uh, Durkin and Knaus. Uh I guess you'd be leaving a cost off, but eh, whatever at this point. Um, or just yeah, have a striker pair of the smallest striker pair in MLS, and just have Acosta and Assad as double false nines. Well, I think if, if we're not be the first time, go ahead, Jason. If we're going to go for a super small uh, front line, uh, I'd like DC United to reacquire Franco Neal, uh, their five foot three striker from way back when. Um, he, Franco Neal towers over Lucho Acosta. No, Franco Neal was legitimately a five foot three. Um, he does not tower over anybody, um, including my kids. But uh, Adam, wasn't it one of your kids who said that uh, Lucho Acosta is a very small man? Uh, my my three year old loves Lucho, and I'm very proud of her for that. Um, but during the pregame on Saturday, uh, we were watching, and uh, she was kind of just playing off to the side, not paying attention to the TV. And I said, "Look, there's there's Lucho," and she says, "He's the littlest guy." <laughs> just it's that, so true. He knows Lucho is the littlest guy. He's also one of the best guys, but he's the littlest guy. Uh, something that's coming to mind, um, if we're going to get really crazy, um, you could also drop, instead of bringing Kofi Opare in, uh, you could drop Chris Durkin in in the, in yep. the middle of a back three. And then uh, I guess you'd have Canals and Moreno or Segura or Harks or someone uh, further ahead. Um, and so you end up with a very flexible formation at that point. But um, again, this is a formation in which Emil Assad has to play a position that he is not cut out for. What if we go back to my uh, desires, my my ridiculous desires, and well, play a 2-3-5? Oh, the classic 2-3-5. Well, then that there's is, plenty of space for Emil Assad to play as a forward. Um, yeah. 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 Play yeah. Maybe that's the... Yeah, that's it. Yeah. 2-3-5. Yeah. We, yeah, we play Burnbaum and Briant, and then uh, Durkin, Knaus, Moreno, and then um, some assemblance of uh, say right to Matt- left: Ariola, uh, Acosta, Mullins, Maddox, Assad. Assad, yes. There we go. We did it. Also, if we did play a four-four-two with a double false nine. It wouldn't even be the first time under Ben Olsen that that's happened. Uh, Luis Silva and Dwayne De Rosario played as double false nines. Oh, man. Not actually that long ago for it, DC United. It, it yeah. did not go well. No? Nope. No. Sure didn't? It that did was not. 2013. Uh, that was, yeah. It was an extremely dark time for us all. Uh, next question, uh, speaking of dark times, comes from... Uh, Tom Hayden, and this is actually a sentiment that uh, we heard from quite a few people, including Moore, including uh, Adam at Aguero, who we'll get to later, including some other folks uh, as well. And, and that is, how much of a leash does Ben Olsen have left? Is his seat starting to get warm? And 
honestly, it's a fair question. Yeah, I think Cassit is starting to get warm because this is the season that things have to go right. And obviously, 12 road games in the first 14 games is a burden that only very few MLS managers have had. But this is a statement year for this team, and they need to perform on a level that they haven't in the past couple of years. And so I don't think... I. I don't think anything's going to happen during the season, especially not uh, before they get to Audi Field. But I think that at the end of the year, if this is more like a, not even like a 2016 or a 20, uh, not or a 2017 or a 2013, but even if it's like a 2011, I don't know if that's good enough. So... I think there's going to be there's going to be a reckoning if the team doesn't click and I, I think will, there's going to be something has to happen if this team doesn't click. I will say I think the first part of this year, the road trip part, um at least as far as Ben Olsen's job goes and and honestly the way I'm judging the team as well is and, and this is just my own speculation, my own position, not any reporting not based on any inside information it's about process more than it's about results at this point in the season when we get to Audi field it's another question on buzzard point results are are going to be the end all be all uh but right now it's about process it's about seeing well, the yeah, team but, but if they dig themselves at, so into a hole yeah i i mean that's going to happen sporting kansas city when they did their you know roughly equivalent road trip they they were in last place when they started their homestand and won the conference that that's the way home and road work in MLS is going on the road is really hard and playing at home is way better. And I, I don't think that aspect has necessarily changed uh, in the five or six years since uh, what is it now? Children's mercy park. Don't call it live strong park uh, has opened. And so right now I want to see DC United build towards something. And I think that's what that that's Ben Olsen's brief in, in my mind is you have a system and he's been committed to this system through, through the games this season, this four, one, four, one that is pressing at times and counterattacking. Um, and it's got to improve. I, the system has to work and the team has to grow into the system. And if it's not, if that's not happening two months from now, then then there, I think it's an open question whether Ben Olsen makes it to Audi Field. And that that's sad for me, but that's the reality. Um, I, I think he he still has some leash left, but it there there's definitely uh, an increase in the tension of the leash, I guess. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I kind of I kind of agree with you guys that um, I guess this is the first time I mean, We've all been thinking for a while, you know, the team's kind of in a holding pattern until they open the stadium. Um, but I do think that they do need to be on a better footing, um, you know, between now and uh, that first game against Vancouver in July. They've got to be further along than they are right now. Um, you know, it's not just the record. It's the way the games have gone. Um, I I don't know that there's been 
if you add up the periods of games that DC has played well in, I don't know that you quite get to 90 minutes yet. Um, and we're five games into the season. Um, and most of those minutes were the first 40 of uh, against Orlando. Um, so on that front, that's pretty discouraging. Um, the team isn't getting necessarily uh, slaughtered. There's no like, you know, Atlanta and Columbus definitely dominated their games, but there's no five nothing um, demolition that, uh, you know, is you don't have that red flag loss that that in other leagues around the world might result in a, a firing just in and of itself. Um, so that's, you know, it's hard to judge. Um, it's hard to judge what ownership's intentions are because I think coming into last season, I thought I had a better handle on what they wanted until the transfer window came. And then they spent a bunch of money and brought in a bunch of players that I don't think we really expected that to happen. And so now all of a sudden it's like, well, if they're willing to do that, that also means that maybe our read on what they think is different than what it actually is, because we don't, we don't know because the ownership makes no public statements about anything. Um, we have no idea what they're thinking. Um, we don't know uh, if there's pressure, if there's not, but we don't, you know, it's all kept very quiet. Um, so it's, it's really difficult to read. Um, I tend to think, even if the season goes poorly, it would have to go like bottom of the barrel, like 12 game losing streak kind of poorly for a firing to happen before the end of the season. Um, but I also think that if we're looking at, uh, you know, a 2013 or 2017 level season, uh, even going into Audi field, if that uh, doesn't, you know, if there isn't a big upswing at that point, um, then at the end of the season, I think, you know, it becomes more than likely he's gone. Um, but to, to offer some context, while you guys were, were talking, I brought up uh, Kansas City's record from the season that they started at uh, Children's Mercy Park. And their their first game was June 9th of that year. And coming in, their record was one win, three draws, and six losses. Um, so they got to nine points out of ten games. And United is behind that pace right now. Um, and granted, Kansas City won their opener against Chivas USA, who were miserable at the time. Um, but still, uh, you've got to find a way to catch up to that pace a little bit. Uh, if they had beaten, if they held on against Orlando, I think the heat is significantly less because yeah. of the, the galling yep. nature of that game. Um, if they got the job done against Houston uh, and didn't hand them two goals on a platter, then maybe the heat is a little less because they've given themselves a, you know, one win in uh in this many games feel it's a little bit like an oasis but the the thing about an oasis is if you miss that one oasis you're just in the desert the whole time um and that really adds so much pressure to the the next game uh in Annapolis that game is now immensely important because this team needs a win extremely badly um for themselves for the fan base for everybody um so i you know i think I think he's closer to being let go than ever before, but I also don't think right now it's particularly close, but it could be that the ownership is like, if there's two more losses, he's gone because we don't know how they actually think we've done a lot of, as a fan base, we've done a lot of projecting onto ownership, but we don't really know what they're about because they don't tell us anything. Right. I will say I, I I've said in the past that if you are an owner or a general manager, anyone who has hiring and firing authority over a manager or head coach. 
when you reach the point that you're saying, if the next game is a loss, I'm going to fire him, uh, then you should just fire him because you've lost confidence. I personally haven't reached that point with Olsen. I know many fans are well beyond that point, and that's a reasonable position. But uh, I, I don't see evidence that Dave Casper or or Jason Levian ha- have reached that point or well, are particularly close to that point with Ben Olsen. I, I mean, I I agree with that mostly, but I also disagree with that slightly because... Ben Olsen's never been in the situation before where he's had these kinds of resources. So it's more reasonable to be like, I want to see what he can do with these resources and to see if he, if he can turn it around. And yeah, that's, that's get, a very and, fair part. One of the reasons and, Ben Olsen has been around so long is that there, there wasn't uh, another human being qualified to coach a professional team at this level who would be willing to put up with the constraints that Ben Olsen has operated under this team has been the most under-resourced whatever the payroll thing mls puts out that doesn't include transfer fees or um other accounting gimmicks um that that says the red bulls and fc dallas are in the bottom spenders of the league that's that's a joke um dc united has been by far the the most under-resourced team in mls for a long time and uh that that's changing and the job is suddenly much more attractive than it was when, say, Caleb Porter turned it down many years ago. Right. So and, I, I think you're right. And and just what I was going to say to conclude that was that uh, this offseason, or even in this midseason, it's going to be either Ben Olsen and Dave Casper are back for uh, 2019, or both are gone. I think this is on both of them, that it's either going to be a clearing the house that everyone's gone, or it's going to be a... Uh, uh, continuity season. So I guess in the end, that makes it more likely that they are given the rest of the season because it may not make sense to just clear house mid-season because Nolan, uh, Nolan Sheldon isn't going to be the full-time head coach. So if you you may not oh, just want to clear house to give it to him. So who knows? But I, it, it it's it's on a knife edge, no matter what, what happens this season. I will throw in one last um, thought for me is that um, with these added resources, it is the first time that either of those uh, either Casper or Olson has had that opportunity. But at the same time, when you add resources, you also add pressure. Um, And you can argue that this is the first year that the team has actually had pressure on those positions because for a while, you know, to you know it was kind of fair for them for ownership to say like look we know we're putting you in a bind whatever you can get out of it is great um and there were there are three playoffs i i think this doesn't come up a lot when um people are looking for the if olsen were fired everything would be better um angle there were three playoff seasons in the middle of there and in 2014 2015 2016 those weren't playoff rosters um Those were like eighth place rosters and they got to the playoffs anyway. Um, And I think if we're going to make a full accounting of their time in charge of the team, we can't just look at the three very bad seasons and say, well, these represent what's happened. Um, We also have to look at the three seasons where they overachieved because they did. Um, But, you know, there's also, I guess the other angle to it is that, um, if you're the kind of coach that does really well when you have to um, 
get blood from a stone and overachieve so much, are you also able to do well when there's actually some flexibility where you're not having uh, this back against the wall thing that you can play up for morale and, and psychological motivation? Um, that's a, an open question at this point, because certainly the team is still trying very hard. Um, the players are giving their all. It's just that uh, from mistakes and from, you know, not being necessarily focused um, and not necessarily being as good as some of their opponents. The combination of those things has all led to uh, two draws in uh, five games and, and the rest are losses. So, um, and, I'll, and I'll continue to ignore Adam, uh, despite whatever he wants to get to else in this podcast, uh, and just talk about how it may not be fair to Olsen, but the league is getting better at such a quickening pace that um, w- with coaches like uh, uh, Patrick Vieira and Tata Martino that um, and Bob Bradley coming back, being a much better coach than he was when he left, that it's the acceleration is so ridiculous that it it may eclipse uh, people who are currently in the league. We we look at teams like New England, we look at teams like Philadelphia, and they're just left behind. And if DC United is uh, left behind in the same fashion, it doesn't matter if it doesn't matter if Mendelssohn is getting better in a vacuum. It it matters what's happening against other teams in the league. I think that's a fair point. We've seen more investment on the field. I think uh, it's very likely that the the next frontier and that we've already reached it, in fact, is in the technical area, uh, better and bigger name and more expensive coaches, uh, I think are a trend that is going to gain steam in this league. Next question from Edward Fishman at Ed Fishman on Twitter. Can we all pull our money during the next big lottery jackpot and buy enough lottery tickets to win and buy the team and spend on some talent? The answer is no, because no no matter how many lottery tickets you buy, you will not win. That is a bad strategy. Next question from the very tastefully named Adam at Agaro on Twitter. DC has two weeks to prep for each of the next three games. What is the minimum expectation from these three games over doing some quick math six weeks? Jason, what do you want to see from these these next three games, which the first one, I believe, is the home away from home game against Columbus. And I am so consumed by the moment I haven't actually looked at what's after that. Uh, I think the minimum ex- expectation, um, my well, I, I guess we're talking about expectation in terms of standard, not in terms of what we expect to actually happen. Um, the standard that the team right. What is our to, minimum demand? Yeah, uh, the the standard the team has to meet is they've got to win that home game. They couldn't really afford to not beat Houston. Um, they need to beat Columbus, and it's the tougher of the two. Um, it's a it's a game on turf um, on top of it being a better opponent, uh, an opponent that United has really had a lot of problems with uh, under since Greg Berhalter has been in town. Uh, but none of that matters. They have to win that game at the the bare minimum, they've got to get something out of that. And I think now that they've dug themselves a little bit of a hole, um, I think they need to go to Philly and get a draw. Um, so I guess the shortest way for me to answer it is they need to take four points from those three games. Um, right. And I the think third, the third game is at RSL. Right. Uh, which has which... also been a, a mostly t- open cup aside. 
uh, a tough venue, though RSL looks kind of like a mess right now. They right. they are not the team that I expected to see. Um, so maybe maybe I'll amend to they've got to get one point from those two road games. They've got to at least take one, and I would much prefer to get a draw at Philly because that affects uh, the Eastern Conference. Whereas uh, giving up points to RSL, it it doesn't really. It only takes points from us. It doesn't have that back end uh, downside of also helping a, pe- a playoff rival. Um, but the main thing is they've got to beat Columbus. They have to get on the right track with a win um, because, you know, to to come into this break on two points is bad enough, but to then have their second home game disappear without a win uh, and then have another two weeks to sit on that, that's that's going to be very tough to take. Ben, do you agree four points, especially if those points are coming from the Eastern Conference teams? Yeah, I mean, yeah, they have to. I mean, you can't, uh, despite what they said, despite what happened with uh, Sporting Kansas City back when they opened uh, Children's Mercy Park, they still had a win, like we talked about, and DC United doesn't so far. And the league is both bigger and better since then. So they need to get towards 10 points, 11 points total at the minimum the very minimum before they open Audi Field, and they got to start banking those points. So, yeah, right. I, I think four points is necessary in in this upcoming uh, six weeks. I agree. Uh, four points sounds like a a reasonable demand from this. I'd I'd like to see more, but I I think four points is the bare minimum. Uh, less because the the point demands. Uh, are are different versus when Sporting Kansas City did their, you know, worst to first move with the late homestand and and more because like Jason said earlier, we're not even seeing the pace that Sporting Kansas City set, the anemic pace that they set mm-hmm. for their road trip. DC United is not even there. So Ben's worry about digging a hole too deep is is very valid right now and they they need to to stop digging. Uh, the next question comes from our, our buddy Ryan Kiefer from the site who is, is throwing salt on my wounds and asking, will any mercy be shown to Adam's Twitter avatar? Uh, Villanova made it to the final. They are currently leading, in fact, in the final. The, they were up by some amount at halftime. It's, they're up by 13. They're up by 13. Great. Um and I believe it, well, you're screwed either way. Yeah, uh, Villanova making it to the final is is what damned me to yeah. last place in our avoid the shame contest. I did not avoid the shame. And the winner will be either Jason Anderson or Ryan Kiefer. And it all comes down to whether Villanova can hold on to a 13 point lead. And if they do, Jason, I believe that you will be the one deciding my fate. So it sounds like you're either going to get Maryland swag in your Twitter profile or Virginia in your Twitter profile. Yeah, well, the thing is, it, it's Adam is to be shamed, so I'm not going to give him anything from Maryland because that would be a badge of honor. Um, <laughs> but which but it would shame Adam. Adam. No, no, it wouldn't shame Adam. Uh, anyone getting uh, Maryland stuff is uh, it's a, a great achievement in their life uh, and in the lives of their family. Uh, <laughs> but he has not achieved, so therefore he does not get Maryland stuff. Um, but He's I'm, not a, a Lebowski urban achiever. No, he's not. Uh, we're not. I'm very him. not. 
Um, but uh, yeah, I haven't made up my mind what I'm going to do uh, if this goes the way it looks like it's going. Um, so uh, I've got I've got some thinking to do because I guess I need to have something ready to go for like tomorrow, and it's late already. So um, I guess after we finish, I've got to brainstorm this thing. Bobby Knight, all Bobby Knight. Uh, Bobby I grew Knight's up face. watching Bobby Knight's teams. And remember, Jason's got to be happy with it too. It has to bring him joy. I think that that is among his his standards. You're a um, fan. I mean, I, I am selfish, so I grew up an IU fan, though. So, but Bobby Knight's also a terrible person. Yes, that's verifiable. Yeah. But I'll, I don't I'll think he brings this, Jason joy. I'll use this opportunity to note that Dan turned down the uh, the option to compete. Um, he, true. He, he, just, he refused to enter uh, and thus avoided the shame, but also avoided the privilege of shaming. He just yeah. wants to be a backseat driver. He's he's. I, I just want to be a gadfly. He's a pundit in the worst way. Uh, <laughs> I'm also a dad, and I just like was like I, I don't have time for this. <laughs> it takes literally ten minutes at most to fill out a bracket. That's what a loser says. Next question. <laughs> Comes from Colin Ilar at tweet Colin tweet Colin with one L for those of you looking for him on Twitter. Uh, longtime listener of the the show, longtime commenter on the site. Uh, using expect in its more natural uh, meaning uh, compared to earlier. Realistically, how many points do you expect DC to have at the Audi Field home opener, and why is it less than ten? Because it's gonna be, because it's gonna be like eight or something. Because this team isn't good. Yeah, unless DC United can figure something out, it's it is gonna be. I mean, the sum of their like like we've harped on the sum of their parts should be more than this, but for whatever reason, it's not clicking yet. And I think that comes down at the end to coaching, and it's just not gonna get there. I don't think. Well. I think they might be able to get over 10 because they do have, uh, you know, they've got a home game followed by three not exactly imposing road trips. Um, you know, they play after the, the home game, they're at Philly, at RSL, at San Jose. None of those teams are particularly great. Um, they also have uh, June 9th, they're at Seattle. Seattle has been terrible to start the season. Um, so they have opportunities. I mean, if they win two of those games that gets them to eight just by itself. Um, they've also got the revs. Um, so I hope not, you're right. I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying that I expect them to get to 10. I'm saying that they're the path to get to 10 is not that daunting. Um, they haven't, it's not like they're going to have to go play NYCFC and uh, everyone else that has 10 points. I mean, granted we've already played two of the teams that have 10 points, um, and, but, and it, a team that doesn't have 10 points is Toronto, who is yeah. still on the schedule. We didn't, we didn't avoid them by rescheduling this, the game right. that was originally this weekend. Um, but yeah, it, it, you know, it's, it certainly doesn't look also, like, no, go ahead, Jason. I'll, I'll come no. back later. It, it certainly doesn't look like this team has multiple, or I mean, granted to get to 10, they pretty much have to win a road game. Um, unless they draw every single one of them, which I don't think they're going to run the table on draws. Um, so they're not the Chicago fire, right? Uh, they've got to get 
they've got to win one at home and they've got to win one away to get to 10 uh, by the time they open uh, at Buzzard Point. And it's not impossible, but, you know, if they can't get something going against Columbus, then it becomes pretty much it's not going to happen. Um, but if they do win that game, the door is open. I think that that would restore my hope that they could get to 10. But right now, I really wish that was a game against somebody other than Columbus, um, I guess is the best way to put it. Also, I'm just over the MLS 4X CCL team. I mean, I like TFC in the abstract, but I'm over. Like, they should schedule it beforehand for the teams that are in CCL. They shouldn't change it after the season starts. That said, I'm not objecting to a bye week coming up this weekend. Um, I The way they've been playing, the dumb that, mistakes, a, the misunderstandings, that, I'm completely okay with yeah. this week being a bye week. And I think that may have had something to do with Dave Casper's decision, that's even fair, though he played it off as the Good Samaritan. That's a fair reading. Next question comes from our good buddy, Phil Quinn, who uh, is at Phil M. Quinn on on twitter um his question is very short ends with an ellipsis if black and red united started a baby fight club yeah i don't know that, that's, that's an incomplete thought phil i'm sorry um if, <laughs> if we started a baby fight club what would it be a success maybe uh, would, uh, I, moderate, I, a moderate success i think um, I mean, would we be charging admission to the Fight Club? Because that's really kind of against the spirit of Fight Club. Well, if you're starting a Fight Club, you're already not worried about um, the law, uh, especially if the Fight Club is amongst babies. Um, but, my my know, child would win. Would, would we need to re-examine our lives? Yes, I think so. <laughs> um, uh, would we sleep well at night? Probably not. Uh, maybe if we got exhausted enough, we would just sleep because we were too tired. But um, I don't know that running a baby fight club is such a demanding thing uh, mentally and physically that we would be exhausted. So I think we would have to go through the, uh, you know, dark night of the soul thing where you're trying to sort out your life because you're like, what am I doing? I'm running a baby fight club. I thought I got into this to write about soccer. Um, but, you know, so we would I, have to not report that income to the authorities, which would open us up to tax fraud. Well, yeah, I, f- I feel like the tax fraud angle would be the worst of our problem or the least of our problems once we were found out as baby fight club runners. Um, but I don't know. I don't know what the punishment is for that as compared to maybe tax fraud is more more penalized uh, uh, legally than um Baby fight club running. I don't know. Having, uh, having I'm not an been expert. involved or studying. Right. Baby I'm not fight an clubs. expert in the baby fight club field. Uh, this isn't really my uh, my area of expertise, uh, especially since I'm also filling in uh, the back half of a sentence. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I don't know how to answer this other than through pure uh, speculation. I'm sorry, Phil. Let's call that the show, guys. There, there are some more questions, and I'm sorry if we didn't get to to your questions. We're running long as it is, and uh, I, I don't know that we have anywhere to go after that question. Thank you all for listening. Find us at blackandredunited.com. Find us at patreon.com slash filibuster if you want to support us financially. We're on Twitter at filibusterdcu for the podcast, at blackandredu for the website, plus all our personal Twitter accounts, which 
you can find if you have any interest in doing so. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Subscribe, download, like, rate, review, whatever the things that we're supposed to tell you to do as podcasters. Uh, we're on, do that at, on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Internet Archive, wherever podcasts are available. Mostly, though, please just tell a friend about the show. That's the easiest way to 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 help us out. Uh, other than you know the Patreon, where you're literally putting money into our pockets for doing this. Um, if you know somebody who likes DC United or might like DC United and would be interested in hearing a podcast, just send them our way. We'll we'll be deeply appreciative of that. For Jason and Ben, I'm Adam, and we will talk at you again real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. Baby Fight Club. I feel like we're locked in on that idea now. I don't want to run a Baby Fight Club. I don't either. I don't see how we have a choice. That's your legal advice. Thanks, Phil.